morning ethos. <laughs> As Deb said, also was to be here like two years ago, and that was the weekend we had the tornado, and we actually had the pandemic. So hopefully this time around, I don't bring the tornado and the pandemic again. <laughs> I've been praying into that. It's going to be the tornado of the fervency of the spirit and pandemic of deeper intimacy with Jesus. Amen. What about that? So I'm so excited. It's like a brother that you have you've never met. So this is me. My name is Mo. And I'm so excited to be here. I want to say a big thank you to Dave and Sydney. And, you know, a lot of times my wife is here at Nikki and 4K to always talk about, like, we all know we want to be like Jesus, you know. But we're like, you know, are there earthly leaders want to be like? We're always talking about Dave and Sydney. So thankful for your leadership. I want to say thank you to all the leaders and everyone here in the family of God. The Lord bless you in Jesus' name. And if you're wondering, where is this southern accent from, you know? <laughs> so I want to quickly take that out of way so you can know where the southern accent from. My name is Mo Obiyami. I was actually born in a country called Nigeria. Nigeria is in West Africa. It's a large country of over 200 million people. And I actually moved to the United States over 21 years ago. I used to live in New York City, and about 11 years ago, the Lord brought me down to Nashville by way of coming to grad school, and the rest of the city is history. One wife, four kids later, and I'm still here. Southern hospitality, you know. <laughs> you know, so I'm so grateful to God for that. Can you join me? And even in the season that we've called awakening, that we're fasting, we're praying, this is just my encouragement. Just pressing. Don't hold back. You know, don't waste the season. Jesus is an inexhaustible well. You know, you can always draw and it will never run dry. You know, when I was in New York, actually, I remember my uncle every Sunday afternoon after church invited us to come for an all-you-can-eat buffet. Very, very popular in New York City, all-you-can-eat buffet. So I just realized one day that he stopped inviting me and my sisters. And I wonder why, but he always invited my younger brother, but not me and my other sisters. And I asked him, I said, why did you stop inviting me? He said, because you always wasted my money. Because every time I brought you into the buffet, you didn't always have all you can eat, but your brother hate everything. <laughs> so you see, when it comes to Jesus and fervency and intimacy with God, there's no room for greed. There's no sin of greed. You can press in and get as much as you can. Amen. So I just want to encourage you in this season. It's all you can eat from Jesus. And he has set the table before you. Amen. Can you join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 3? I'm going to read from verse number 7 to verse number 18. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7 to verse number 18. Behold and become. He says, but if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious for if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the whole Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But Satan says, but we all, with unveiled face, 
beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we have been transformed into the same image as he is, just by the Spirit of the Lord from glory to glory. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 3 because I love things in summary. You know, it's like my spark notes, you know, to be able to know the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. You know, you can just go to the cheat sheet, you know. And it actually tells me the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant and also helps me to understand the beauty of what we have in the new covenant. So if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 from verse number 7 to 13, it gives us the contrast between the old and the new. From verse 14 to 16, it tells us the condition to step into the new covenant. Then in verse number 17 to verse 18, it begins to tell us the content of this new covenant. So if you look at from verse number 7 to verse number 13, it's talking about the contrast between the whole testament and the new testament. So it calls the whole covenant, it calls it the ministry of death. Then it calls the new covenant, it calls it the ministry of the spirit. Why is it called the ministry of death? It's very simple. It was making a demand without giving a supply. It was making a demand of standards, which were called the law, but it was not given the supply. Then it's actually calling the new covenant the ministry of the spirit, simply because God never makes a demand without making a deposit. And the deposit that God makes is the deposit of a spirit. Then it went further in another verse there. It calls the whole covenant the ministry of condemnation. Then it calls the new covenant the ministry of righteousness. Why was it called the ministry of condemnation? Because it was simply based on man's ability to perform. And man at his best is never good enough. Then he now calls the new covenant the ministry of righteousness. Because it's built on only one thing, God's ability to be able to perform. Then he also now spoke about the old covenant and he said that the old covenant, as challenging as it was, he had some glory. But it says that the new covenant has an exceeding glory. So what was the glory of the new covenant? It was simply this, is the fact that it brought man to the place where man knew it was hopeless and it was helpless without God. But the beauty of this new covenant that has exceeding glory is the fact that man's only hope, man's only help is in one man and his name is Jesus Christ. So that's the difference between the old and the new because he was making the, the demarcation, the contrast between the old and the new. But by the time you now get to the next couple of verses in verse number 16, it begins to tell us the condition for us to be able to step into the new covenant. How do I transition from the old to the new? And in this passage in 2 Corinthians 3, uh, Paul used a very interesting language. It says, when one turns to the Lord, when one turns to Jesus, you are able to move away from the old and you now can't come into the new. Now, very popular story that we know in, in, in John chapter 3 is the story of Nicodemus. Is that John was giving us the narrative. And, and Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, no one can do these things except he become born again. And Jesus said, well, he said, how can do these things? And Jesus responded by, he said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So the Bible language for turning to the Lord is actually the word salvation. So when a man places his faith in Christ Jesus, you are able to move from the old covenant and you move to a new covenant. That is turning to the Lord. But you know, making a confession for Jesus and just saying, Lord, I receive you, it's a wonderful place to start, but it's a terrible place to start. A wonderful place to start. Because there is so much of blessing that God has placed in this new covenant that there are so many people who never pressed into it to be able to live out in that reality. 
In fact, this is even a problem. There are so many people who are in the new covenant who are living as if they're in the old covenant. But by the time you now get to verse number 17 to verse number 18, Paul now begins to bring us into the beauty of what it means to be in this new covenant in Christ Jesus. And if I could summarize verse number 18, I'm going to read that again. He says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The summary of the content of this new covenant is simply this. It's not silver and gold. It's not a bigger house. It's not a bigger car. It's not vacation in your favorite spot. It's simply this, a deeper intimacy with Jesus. That is God's invitation. That is the greatest blessing of what it means for us to be in the new covenant that Jesus has consecrated by his own blood. But if you look at that verse, we can actually break it further down. And you can see in that verse number 18, you can see four different things in the verse. You can see the people that are involved in this new covenant. You can see the privilege that we have to be in this new covenant then we can also see the product of this new covenant. And lastly, we see the power for us to leave out the new covenant that Jesus has brought us into. And that verse began this way in the verse number 18. It says, but we all with unveiled face. He didn't say some. He didn't say they. He didn't say a few people. He didn't even say hi. He says, we all with unveiled face. Meaning that what was limited to only a few in the whole is not available to everyone who says yes to Jesus in the new covenant. In the whole covenant, we see only Moses going on top of the mountain, having an encounter with Jesus and coming down to tell the people what God had already told him. But when we now come into this new covenant, when it comes to intimacy with Jesus, there is no exclusion to just a few. There is inclusion to all. But this is always the problem. Many times we begin to excuse ourselves, we begin to give ourselves reasons why we are not worthy for us to be able to experience and enjoy intimacy with Jesus. We begin to write ourselves off. We have a bucket list of the reason why you are not qualified enough, you are not worthy enough. When it comes to intimacy with Jesus, the person who has made you worthy is Jesus himself. It's not your good works, it's not what you've done or what you've not done. You are worthy because Jesus died on the cross for you. You know, sometimes the other problem that we do have is the fact that we feel that we're not part of the ecclesiastical elites for us to be able to experience intimacy with Jesus. I'm not high, high enough in the, in the organogram and the hierarchy of church. I'm not on the deacon board, if there's ever a deacon board, amen. You know something, I don't have a collar on my neck. May I say this to you? Look at how Paul began right there. He says, we all, we all, if you are a day old in the Lord or you are a hundred years old in the Lord, as long as you are part of this new covenant, you have been invited into a deep, rich intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, many times this is the problem. We believe a lie. And every time you believe a lie, you empower the liar. And I think the best way for us to even go further in the season of awakening is for you to just come before the Lord as you fast, as you pray. And you say, Lord Jesus, can you find a flame? I bring you into the inner chambers of my heart. Here is where I believe the lie. The lies that I've actually believed have become stronghold in my heart that are limiting me from being able to step into a deeper intimacy with you. Sometimes the lie that we believe is the fact that you are deep enough with Jesus. 
Sometimes the lie that we believe is the fact that, oh, my relationship with Jesus is so great, and you don't understand that that has become a lead. And many times we are putting the lead on upon ourselves when Jesus has become a ladder for us to be able to ride upon and enjoy intimacy with the Father. So in the season, what are those leads that God just want to shatter in your life? What are those ceilings that you've placed upon yourself and you think that you hold it? And God is saying, son, daughter, you can still press for the rain. There is much more with me because Jesus is an inexhaustible well. Jesus is an inexhaustible well. You know, this is how it actually works. You can actually go to an ocean. You can imagine him as an ocean. You can go to an ocean with a spoon. And the best you will get is just a spoonful. You can go to the ocean actually with a, with a bucket. And the best you're going to get is a bucket full. You can go with a bowl and the best you will get is a bowl full. You can go with a tank and the best you will get is a tank full. So the question now is this, is this, what are you coming to Jesus with? What do you have in your hands? Is it just a spoon? Is it just a bowl? Is it just a bucket? And Jesus is saying, I'm all that you need. Come take as much as you need. What are those lies that are limiting you to think that this is the best that you can experience with Jesus? So we see in the passage, we see the people that are involved. We all with unveiled face. Then it went further. He began to talk about the privilege of this new covenant. He says, we are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. The privilege of this new covenant is not silver and gold. The privilege of this new covenant is not things that can be bought with money. The privilege of this new covenant is the fact that you and I can behold the face, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, let's quickly put this down. The glory is not a cloud anymore. The glory is not a feeling. The glory is a person. You know, 2 Corinthians 4, the next chapter after the verse number 7, he said, it was God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who had shone in our hearts to give the knowledge of the glory of the Lord in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest blessing that you are part of, that you're a believer, that you're in the new covenant, is the fact that you can be face to face with Jesus in intimacy. We behold in him as in a mirror. We can behold and we become whatever we actually behold. You know, in Luke chapter 10, it's one of my favorite stories in the scripture. And it's a story that many of us actually know from verse number 38 to verse number 42. Luke 10, 38 to 42. It's a story of two sisters called Mary and Martha. Jesus had actually showed up in their house. Mary and Martha were there. The moment Martha welcomed Jesus into the house, Martha dashed into the kitchen to go prepare a meal for Jesus. I would have done the same thing if Jesus came to my house. Then Martha came back right because Mary was sitting right at the feet of Jesus. Then Martha came back to Jesus and said, Master, don't you care that my sister should help me in preparing meal for you? What is more important than for us to prepare a meal for Jesus? And Jesus said to Martha, he said, Martha, Martha, you are just encumbered. You are distracted by many things. He said, but one thing is needful. Mary had chosen the right path and it will not be taken away from her. You know, the more I thought about that story, and I've read it several times, we begin to see the, the posture of Mary in that story. We begin to see the passion of Martha to serve Jesus in that story. I was asking myself, was anything wrong in Martha wanting to serve Jesus, the most important personality ever? Come on, if Dave came to my house right now, I want to give him the best African meal he has ever tasted. 
But you know something? There was nothing wrong with the passion of Martha. But there was something wrong with the priority of Martha. Martha got the priority wrong. Because when your priorities shift away from the posture of sitting at the feet of Jesus again and again to just the passion to serve Jesus, your service will be polluted. And that is actually what we call burnout. And the truth of the matter is this, is that Jesus wants you to burn for him, but he doesn't want you to burn out for him. And in this season, the Lord is inviting you and just say, you know what, I want you to be merry. I want you to stay at this place where this is a permanent posture because true kingdom service comes from intimacy with Jesus. If your service is not coming from a place of deep intimacy with Jesus, you're just going to keep serving and never look like the person you're serving. The way that your service can be acceptable is when you're serving from a place of intimacy. And you actually don't become more like Jesus by just serving Jesus. You become more like Jesus by sitting at the feet of Jesus. You see what was actually happening? Mary came back outside, or rather Martha came back outside, and she became jealous. She became envious of the sister Mary, and that is actually what happens. What happens is this, is the fact that when you keep serving and there is no intimacy, you become envious of those who are burning for Jesus. You begin to see, see their life, and sometimes you become judgmental. You begin to say, that, oh, they are just singing and worshiping, and they are not serving, doing works. But God is inviting you to this place where you can sit at the feet of Jesus and that is what will make you to become more like him and your service will come from the place of deep intimacy with Jesus. You know, I love another story. It's actually in John chapter 8, one of my favorite stories. In fact, even in the story of actually Mary and Martha before I jump, you know, Jesus said to Mary, or Martha too, said, Mary had chosen the right part and it will not be taken away from her. It's like Jesus just capturing again what David had actually said in Psalm 27 verse 4. He says, one thing have I desired from the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may meditate in the house of the Lord to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What if what God is calling us into is not many things? What if what God is calling us is just a one thing? What if the assignment of the church is just primarily one thing? And everything else that we do is a derivative of the one thing that he has invited us into. Many times the reason why we neglect this one thing is because we have not embraced the beauty of this one thing. There are still some other things that are more attractive to us than for us to spend deep intimacy with Jesus. And this is what the Lord is inviting you. Make this your one thing. And I feel like sometimes we get into a season like awakening like this where everybody's fired up. You know, then February is over, then it's March, it's April, you're like, you know what, can we have another awakening, amen? You know, because it looks like you lose the energy. This is what the Lord is just doing. This is going to be a momentum for the rest of the year. Where you carry the fire, you carry the strength of this season, you carry all through the rest of your days. And this is the only way it happens when Jesus becomes the one thing in your life. Not your job, not even your spouse, not even your kids, as, as wonderful as all those blessings are. But you see, those things become a blessing, or better still, they grow with us when we actually make Jesus our one thing. So we're doing our life from the place of intimacy. You know, John 14, that I'm actually trying to get to, is a story from verse number 8 to verse number 9. It's the story of Philip, one of the disciples of Jesus. <laughs> you know, Philip actually showed up to Jesus and said to Jesus in verse number 8, he said, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. 
I like that part because at least Philip knew that satisfaction comes from just knowing the Father. But Jesus responded back to Philip. He said, Philip, you've been with me for this long and you still don't know the Father? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Philip was one of Jesus' disciples, hanging all around Jesus, wherever Jesus went to. But yet, Philip never really knew who Jesus was. Because this knowledge we're talking about is not head knowledge. This knowledge is actually a heart knowledge, an experiential knowledge. And Jesus said, you've been with me for this long and you still don't know the Father. Because proximity is not a proof of intimacy. Showing up in the church building is not a proof of the fact that you are intimate with Jesus. Because you can be so close and yet so far away. Presence is a proof of intimacy, not proximity. It's the fact that wherever you go, you can literally, you are walking in the reality of the presence of Jesus wherever you actually go to. So even in this season too, I feel what the Lord is calling you to is the fact that pressing beyond just showing up in the building Sunday morning. Take advantage of the things that God has made available, the fasting, the praying, and just saying, I'm just setting things aside because I want to really press into the Father's heart. You can be so close and yet miss it. I feel God is doing amazing things like the two thieves on the side of Jesus. Both of them had the same measure of proximity to Jesus. One got it right, but one missed it. Because proximity is never the proof of intimacy. Another story in the scripture that kind of shows us that we can behold this one man is in John chapter 17. You know, John chapter 17, verse number three, you know, Jesus actually put it this way. And he said, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God. And I love that because when we say yes to Jesus, what we get is called eternal life. Eternal life is what you receive because you have said yes to Jesus. And Jesus gave us the opportunity to be able to define what eternal life is. He said eternal life is simply this, to know God. He said if you know God, that is the very essence of salvation. That is the very essence of eternal life. And the reason why this passage is also very powerful because this is what we call the high priestly prayer of Jesus. This is the point where Jesus was praying for his disciples and was praying for the church. This is the place where the church goes to when the church want to talk about unity. You know, the church needs to be united. But you can see the way Jesus started. He said, you know what? This is eternal life. Unity will only come when we know Jesus. Because sometimes we think unity is as a result of programs together. Unity is always as a result of presence with Jesus. You know, I always joke around this when we begin to talk about unity among churches, you know, where I am in Morfreesboro. And I say, you know, sometimes we think that the only way where churches can be united is when the Hispanic church actually does a Sunday evening barbecue with the African-American church across the street. That may sound nice, but that is never sustainable. Because unity never comes from the place of programs together. Unity always comes when we gather around the presence of Jesus, like we do when our waking bring churches together. Always around the presence of Jesus. And you know, some of us are right here right now, and you're wondering, you know what? I just need the Lord. I just need the Lord to help me to be able to break in even into other places, breaking into new friendships, breaking into new people. 
It doesn't begin with an agenda. It doesn't begin with, with a resolution. It begins with you just being with Jesus, spending time with Jesus, engaging the presence of Jesus. And you just realize that areas that are broken, in fact, some of us are praying in this season, the problem that you have is unity in your family, not even unity in the nation. That's not even the problem. <laughs> it's not unity in your city. You just want unity in your family. You just want your family to be united. You want your dad to be united back with your mom. You want your siblings to just handle siblings rivalry. The starting point is not for you to call a meeting. The starting point is for you to spend time with Jesus. And by the time you radiate that presence of Jesus, you realize that the presence is so strong that it breaks down mountains, it breaks down walls, it breaks down the device that the enemy has put in our families. So in the verse number 18, we're seeing that it spoke about the people, it spoke about, it spoke about the privilege. Then if you go further down, it begins to talk about the products of this new covenant. He says, we have been transformed into the same image as he is, even from glory to glory. I love this passage because it's so clear. I know exactly what God wants to make out of my life. I would have preferred for you to say that it makes me a millionaire. That would be nice. But it says that I'm transformed into the same image as he is from glory to glory. Why? Because every seed produces after his own kind. If I spend time with Jesus, what will come out of that will be Jesus. Every seed produced after his own kind will become what will behold. You know, in Acts chapter 4, verse number 13, there's a very beautiful story of, of Peter and John, the disciples of Jesus. They had captured them. And by the time they interrogated them and they spoke to them for a little while, the Bible says that and when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled and they realized what? That they had been with Jesus. When they saw their boldness. And I like this passage because this is not the boldness that comes from personality. You know, sometimes some people you have the boldness because it comes from personality. Even the personality is giving you trouble because you are constantly stepping on people's toes. But the boldness that the scripture is talking about here is talking about the boldness that comes from spending time with Jesus. They became so much like Jesus that there was no difference between them and Jesus. And even some of us in this place, that is what the Lord is inviting you to. And you're just saying, Lord Jesus, there's some unredeemed part of my personality. There's some, the, the way I try to get things done, people don't want to walk with me. <laughs> I'm not a very likable person. My roommates don't want to hang out with me, and yet I want to preach Jesus to them. My colleagues at work don't want to hang out with me. They just want me to do the job and leave them alone. And it's because of this personality issue, and God is saying, invite me into that space and let me cut away those parts that don't look like me so that you can look more like me. Because Jesus is a magnet. It draws people. It draws people. When they saw the boldness, they said they had been with Jesus. And another passage that I love so much is in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. It tells me the whole essence of church gathering. If it's not producing that, then we can as well shut it down. Galatians chapter 4, verse number 19. It says, my little children, for whom I labor again until Christ is formed in you. Galatians 4, 19. It says, my little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. You can as well just underline that in your scripture. 
If you read that actually in contemporary translation, it put it this way. It says, until Christ's life becomes visible in you. Our city is looking for people who have the Christ life that is visible. The whole essence of our waking is just simply this, that the life of Jesus will be so stirred up inside of you that wherever you go, you leak everywhere. You leak everywhere until Christ be formed in you. Every Bible study must lead to this Christ formed in you. Every fasting season must lead to this Christ formed in you. Every prayer meeting must lead to this, that Christ is formed in you. Your, your wife is looking for Christ in you. Your wife, your husband is looking for Christ in you. Your kids are looking for Christ in you. Your neighbor is simply looking for one person, Jesus. And Christ's life is formed inside of us the more we're pressing in a deeper intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what the Lord is doing in this season. He wants his life to be formed inside of you. That's the privilege we have. We become who we behold. But you know the last part is actually the place where the rubber meets the road. It is the power that makes this new covenant available. And he says that this happened even by the Spirit of God. This happens just by the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit is a very interesting personality. The reason why the Holy Spirit is a very interesting personality, by the way, everyone who is born again, you have the indwelling Spirit of God inside of you. The Holy Spirit is not external to you. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is the one that is resident inside of you. But the interesting thing is this, is the fact that the Holy Spirit is a friendly personality, but not a forceful personality. It doesn't force you. So all this blessing of intimacy that we get to experience and enjoy in the new covenant is dependent on my relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not going to force you. The Holy Spirit is going to ask you to come to a place of willful surrender. Willful surrender. What are the things that the Holy Spirit is asking, is nudging you and is encouraging you, put this out of the way so that you can come into a place of deeper friendship with me, a place of deeper intimacy with me. The Holy Spirit will never force you, it will invite you. And I feel for many of us, this is the biggest barrier that we actually confront, that we're not able to press in deeper into the heart of the Father. It's because we are not coming to a place of willful surrender to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can do better with my surrender than with my control. What are the areas of life that you're holding on to, that you're controlling, you are grabbing, and the Lord is just saying, let this thing go. Let this thing go. If you don't allow those things to go, if you don't release those things, you never get to come into a place of deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit. And as you come into a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit, that is how you enjoy intimacy with God. The Holy Spirit is a game changer. He's the one who does it all. So even as we're fasting, as we're praying, it's an opportunity for you to now just say, you know what, I'm letting things go. In fact, even the fasting itself is a symbol of the fact that I'm going to let go of food, I'm going to let go of social media, but Lord, there are bigger things that I want to let go of. Some of us, what God is asking you to let go of, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Some of us is bitterness in the heart. Some of us is some addiction that God is saying, I want to help you. A new year resolution is not good enough. I want to be the one that's going to help you to overcome this. And the Lord knows when you've already answered and just say, you know what, I surrender to you. Perhaps that is what the Lord is asking you. He doesn't judge you. He doesn't condemn you. He's just inviting you so that you can achieve and enjoy this goal, intimacy with him. 
intimacy with him. I'm going to close with John 11. It's a very, very beautiful story of Lazarus. Lazarus, as was known, was a friend of Jesus. Then Lazarus died. He passed away and Jesus did not show up until after four days. And the reason why I'm sharing the story of Lazarus is because Lazarus as a person is a metaphor for our intimacy and relationship with Jesus, our friendship with Jesus. Lazarus, who was a friend of Jesus, had died. And Jesus was invited to the tomb of his dead friend. You know, for some of us, our relationship with Jesus, our intimacy with Jesus is already dead, just like Lazarus. He's not existing anymore. You know that you show up in church, you show up in home church, but you know that you're just by and by. There is no life, there is no excitement, there is no joy in your faith anymore. You know, you're just, you're just moving zone by zone. But something interesting happened when Jesus got to the house of Lazarus, to the tomb. Jesus told them to roll away the stone. I was like, I don't like that. Jesus, you came here to raise the dead. You can as well speak to the stone. Be rolled away and the stone would have rolled away. At least he came to give life to a dead man. He could have as well spoken to a non-living thing called a stone and roll it away. But you know what Jesus said? Jesus asked him right there, roll away the stone. Roll away the stone. Why? It's just simply this. Surrender always precedes resurrection. He wanted them to surrender that little stone so that resurrection and life can be able to just invade that dead space, invade that dead tomb, and what was dead will come back alive again. You know, for some of us in this room, you're thinking that my relationship with Jesus is no longer existing, is dead. Let me tell you this, Jesus acts well in the graveyard. Jesus walks well in the graveyard. And the only thing is this, what is he asking you to surrender? What is he asking you to let go? When you let that thing go, when you surrender that situation, surrender that marriage, surrender that relationship, surrender that career, surrender that pain, surrender that disappointment, let me tell you what's going to come back alive. It's not even friendship with your family. It's intimacy with Jesus. Because surrender always precedes resurrection. And even in this season of our waking, God is inviting you to a deeper well. He's inviting you to a place where you can go deeper with him. You know him bigger, you know him better, you know him brighter, and you see the power of God who's in out of your life in a fresh and a mighty way. Can you bow your heads down with me as we pray right now? And I just want to invite you, even as ministering, perhaps you're here and the Lord is already calling some things out in your life, as he's calling out in my own life. I don't want silver, I don't want gold, I want Jesus. I don't want fame, I don't want money, I just want a deeper friendship, deeper relationship with Jesus. Ito's church, you're doing so well, but there's more. <laughs> there is more. God wants to use you as a conduit of life in our city. He's already doing that, but there's still more with Jesus. The best of God is never behind us, the best of God is always ahead of us. So in this season, what is the Lord calling out of your life? What is the Lord demanding? It's just simply this. The Holy Spirit is not forceful. It's friendly. He invites you. And it says, can you surrender? Can you surrender? Can you surrender? Can you surrender? For some of us, it's actually some people that have actually hurt you so deeply in the past. 
even though you've mastered it with different things in your life, you, you've, you've put in a different place, but God is, po- is poking that room right now and just say that you've not dealt with that pain. You've not dealt with that hurt. You've not dealt with that stigma. You've not dealt with that challenge. And God is just saying, I want you to take me to those dark rooms. I want you to surrender those things, surrender those relationships, because I want to draw you to a place of deeper intimacy. A place of deeper intimacy. Deeper intimacy with Jesus. Father, we just love you tonight. Thank you this morning for what you're doing in this room. From how to how, road to road, person to person. Thank you because with you there is always more. Thank you because we are no longer in the ministry of death. We're not in the ministry of condemnation. We're in a ministry of life. Thank you because the Holy Spirit is a life-giving spirit. Thank you for the outpouring of your spirit, the outpouring of your presence over this room right now. Thank you for people that you are drawing there. You're bringing them closer to you, to the place where they become face-to-face with you so that we can look more like you. Thank you because the stones have been rolled away. Thank you because Lazarus is coming out of the grave. Thank you because our friendship is coming out of the grave. Our, Our devotion time is coming back alive. Some of us are going to have an increased faith to believe God for the unusual. Some of us are going to have an increased faith to see healings and miracles and signs and wonders flowing through us like never before. Some of us are going to have an increased faith to walk in love like we've ever done before. Lord, we thank you for the outpouring of your spirit resting upon everyone in this place. Thank you because Jesus is worthy of our devotion, worthy of our affection, worthy of our pursuit. Lord, help us not to waste the season of fasting and prayer, but help us to press in because we call you Haber and you call us beloved. In Jesus' name.